Welcome to episode 161 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded May 15th, 2022. Uh, let's see here. Eric did, could not make it tonight. Something, something, responsible parent, whatever. Anyway. Uh, no. <laughs> my name is Ian. I'm a Herbert disguised as a people person on Vancouver Island. Oh, right. I'm next. Uh, I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, overall safety nerd. And uh, tonight I'm having a really hard time keeping focus. Oh, it's going to be one of those nights. I'm Jeff, based in uh, central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. Hey, guys. I'm Brad. I'm in eastern Ontario. consider myself a part-time amateur prepper since about 98. Constantly trying to better myself. See what the weather holds tonight. If you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy us some buy some swag from us. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast T-shirt, modeled tonight by the illustrious Jeff, and the <laughs> super wicked awesome cool tactical Velcro patch. You can get those both at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, we've got some non-flammable content for you this episode. We're going to start off with some recent news, update our personal preps, then we'll get into the main topic, which of course is fire safety. News time. Well, I went for the topical uh, discussion, so based on uh, our topic of this evening of talking about fire safety, um, from the uh, Sioux Today, um, up in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, they're talking about nine new wildfires discovered in the northeast region, and that's uh, kind of, that includes Algonquin Park and, and places like that. Um, so those are caused by lightning, careless fires, electrical contact, a few other common causes, but uh, these wildfires are reasonably common and the drier and hotter it gets the more likely they are to exist did you guys say something about like a uh, hot summer coming up or farmer's almanac stuff or what was that oh yeah we're the the almanac, I don't know if it's be a hot, almanac but i just i just think we're in for a hot dry summer yeah i concur with jeff we might actually yeah. get a, a break this summer because we're still in rainy season which normally has been done for two months by now but it's been silly here today so yeah, one of the uh, one of the ham guys that I communicate with, he lives uh, about forty minutes north of me, and they had a uh, they had a fire caused by lightning last night. He said uh, his son's a volunteer fireman, and he said they were out for about five hours last night uh, getting it put out. So, yeah, we've had a few grass fires around here that have taken uh, taken some time to put out. It's been uh, it's been a, a, a hot couple of weeks. Cool. Uh, well, I've got a couple of news articles mildly related to each other. Uh, let's see here. The first one, Finland is joining NATO. Um, for those of us that, you know, can remember the time like when Scotland is a teens type of thing, Finland was still a part of Russia back in the day. So up until World War One, Finland was part of Russia. Um, heavily, heavy ties to Russia all the way through. A couple spats in the, in the early 40s with Russia, which, you know, basically allowed them to, I guess, sort things out territory-wise. Anyway, long story short, they've been a close ally of Russia. At least uh, non-aggression packs have been signed with them all the way through. And all of a sudden now, kind of out of the blue, mildly related to the Russia invasion, they decided we're just going to join NATO, which is a huge shift in policy for them, which I found kind of amazing. But then the same week, my second article came out, which is Sweden's joining NATO. 
um, yeah, so Sweden's been armed, armed neutrality kind of policy for the last 200 years. Literally 200 years, they've been uh, gone out of the way to not get involved with anybody's war whatsoever. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, now they're like, yeah, this week, same week as Finland, we're going to join NATO as well. So, odd. He thinks there's some tomfoolery afoot. Well, yeah, because Russia went out of their way to say, listen, if we sense an existential threat to ourselves, we're going to do first strike nuclear option. And if you want to make somebody feel like they're getting boxed into a corner, what better way than to have a couple more close neighbors join NATO? <laughs> like, Well, anyway. isn't, um, isn't uh, I, th I think it's Finland, isn't their border with Russia like 800 miles long? Like yeah, that's it's Finland. A, it's a mm -hmm. fairly long border. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it is long and poorly defended. Just based yeah. on population volume. Reminds me uh, of ours. <laughs> yeah, if you can imagine northern Ontario, but swampier, that would be the Finnish-Russian uh, border for most of it. It's, yeah, but it's it's an ongoing thing with them. But that's why they were out of their way. They actually had a treaty back in the 90s uh, when I actually went through there one time uh, as a high school trip. Uh, they made a point of telling us that they would they had a treaty with Russia that basically they would defend Russia if, if anybody attacked through Finland, but they were never going to... Uh, attack Russia or something like that. They had like, a very, very close treaty with them, even when they were communists. So I was like, big change. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess if they wanted to do it, from my personal opinion, I think now would be the time to do it. I, I think the last thing Russia needs to do or wants to do is get into another area of, of battle. They're struggling, obviously, with what they've got now. Could that mean that they would immediately jump to a nuclear option i would certainly hope not but i mean i just i just think they've they've taken such a, a shit kicking in uh in ukraine that do they really want to start pushing that one too yeah essentially because i mean back in the day russia won both wars with finland but by the same token i think they took 10 to 1 losses from the Finns. it was crazy like the Finnish definitely hold their own so yeah anyway that's all i had and uh, I stole one from Ian. Um, he was a little slow off the switch today. So, um, I mean, obviously, everybody knows that uh, we have high inflation, and that is leading to um, incredibly high gas prices. Uh, today, the lower mainland in BC was averaging $2.27 a liter for their gas. Um, I don't Thanks know if I'm far. lucky where I am. I went into my town uh, a little earlier this afternoon, and we were still uh, only at a dollar ninety-three. So, I'll give it and that's, time. And that's right. the problem, right there, is that you, all of a sudden we've been conditioned to think that a dollar ninety-three is a good price by comparison. We're at one ninety-two eight. It's only a dollar ninety-two when mm -hmm. this time two years ago we were paying sixty-seven cents a liter for gas. Well, the way the way they do it is. They hike the gas prices, say ten cents, and everybody complains. So they drop it seven cents, and everybody's like, "Well, that's a great deal." And they go and buy their gas, not realizing that you're still paying three cents more than you were a week ago. And then, and that's how they. You're right, Alan. They condition the people to the higher gas prices, and all of a sudden, somebody's like, "Wow, it's a dollar ninety-three. That's a deal." It's not, but no, it's not lower yeah. than it was a week ago. But then they'll just raise it again later. Wait till the mainland. Oh, they've they've, they've already said by the 
by next weekend, which of course is the long weekend, why would they not want to raise the prices at the long weekend that we could see another three to five cent increase by next weekend? Thankful uh, Dan, for my Costco card. Yeah. Dan right away wants to uh, blow the stats out of the water. So his first question <laughs> is, would a nuke set off my CO detector? No. <laughs> That's the last thing you have to worry about. <laughs> Actually, a quick technical question. So smoke detectors have a small radioactive component in there that senses the particles. What does a CO2 use for a detecting detection kind of system? So... Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a gas sensor that essentially that essentially um, challenges the atmosphere against a known value. So, um, what we do with the like with the higher end gas monitors that we use in like industrial and firefighting applications is we um, we have to put it we have to bump test it every time we use it and we put a uh, like we put a gas that has a known value against the sensor and then the sensor. Can, then has the ability to challenge it and we make sure that it's working properly with our home detectors um, because they're not exposed to the same kind of um, same kind of atmospheric changes as most industrial ones um, they challenge it again so we've got this you know there's basically a little cylinder of of co as a gas um, that just pushes across the uh, uh, pushes across the sensor and I couldn't tell you what the sensor um, like how it detects that, but it detects both a lack of oxygen and the presence of CO by measuring specific spikes in the uh, in the atmosphere in the atmospheric conditions. Hmm. Well, there you go. I guess I've learned something. I guess we can call it a day there, right? Yeah, I was gonna say learn something new every day, right? We got to, we got to CO like twelve lines ahead of where, where I was planning on it. So yeah, that's, that's okay. <laughs> um, what have we done lately for preps? Uh. Had some home renos continue, doing some uh, renovations outside the house, and some new siding, new windows, whatnot. Slowly but surely, I had figured that they might have been done by now. Uh, basically, uh, emptied all my fuel depletion, well, fuel stores today. Trying to rotate everything out finally. So we're going to have to, even though the gas prices are going to be massive this week, have to go and get some new stuff to replenish what I used. I set up my Berkey. Hey. Very happy. Yeah. And did you get that from Rapid Survival? I did get it from Rapid Survival. It's amazing. I love it. Yes. With your one-stop shop for all your prepping needs. Yes. I actually got uh, the 2.25 gallon, and then I have had that for about two months or so. I was waiting for this reno stuff to finish and kind of waiting for the temperature to rise. We'd be drinking more water and... Yeah, the temperature was hot this week, so I decided, okay, this weekend I'll set it up. And I did that, and it's sitting on my counter. I've just run the second full tank through it. The first one, right, you're supposed to just discard it, whatnot. Yeah. So I'm running the first full good tank through it right now overnight, and I'll fill up all my water bottles and everything tomorrow morning and put some more into it and let it sit on the counter all day and put it into its home, hopefully, tomorrow night. And, uh, yeah. I know uh, two other people that have them, and they love them. My only so, problem is I get so excited about my Berkey is I overfill it, and then, of course, it ends up spilling through the, the, the water level glass, and then, it, yeah, it puts a big mess on the floor. And especially if you get wood floors, it's, a, it's horrible. But Yeah. Um, so the 2.5 gallons, that's like the six-holer, or how many holes? Uh, no, it's it's a four-holer. Okay, four-holer. Okay. It is a four-holer, and I bought 
Uh, so I got the Berkey. I got it delivered. That was no issue. And then um, figured out how long I'm going to have it, like have the, the filters for and how much we're going to use it and decided right away, okay, I'm just going to get two more black filters right away. So I have, I could put all four into it, but I don't want to. Yeah, no, we just run two, even though we got a, a beer one as well. And uh, we just have a spare set of two in the closet and that way we're good for many, many yeah. moons. Yes, that's what I figured as well. And if they if they come down in price again, either with Eric or uh, on Amazon or somewhere else in the next little while, I will grab another two right away as well. And like I said, the the the, the main the other main family that I know that has one, if if for some reason they need another one, hey, I have one that you can borrow, just in case, yeah, right? I, I yeah, I I talked to Eric. I was. I'm looking at getting one at some point, but he basically said the, the filters are few and far between. He's been waiting a long time to get what he's got and he didn't get very much. So, well, I jumped on it when, uh, when, when he said in, in our chat there, not that long ago, he said he got new Berkey filters in right away. I grabbed another set knowing that I have two in the filter, two in the box with the, with the Berkey itself. And then I grabbed two, two more right away when he said that he had some, that's when I figured out how much we're going to use and whatnot. I said, yeah, just do it. Just get it. So I did all that. Um, I found out one generator that I had uh, somebody had taken a look at will not be returning home. That it is kaput. It, is no, longer, <laughs> it no longer generates power. So, oh well. And I put a deposit down on a new shed. One of those uh, Amish sheds you see every so often. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I put uh, I put a deposit down on a 12 by 24. Nice. So that should be here mid-July somewhere. Does it come Other with that- suspenders or anything else that you can, like, <laughs> pipe and use with it? <laughs> no, I got those already. Pitchforks? What's that? Comes with a few extra pitchforks? Uh, no, I declined that option. Oh. No. Okay. <laughs> was, the, was the butter churn optional? Yes. I went for the washing machine, though. <laughs> That's it. So I uh, got to work on my uh, outdoor garden beds. I've got some stuff going indoors. And I'll, uh, now that the warm weather is here, I, I need to get them out there. And I am in the process of scoping out or looking for a on-off-road type motorcycle, be it an enduro or it's kind of thinking something maybe uh, around that type. But of course, with gas prices being what they are, the cost of used motorcycles is ridiculous. So um, if I find a good deal, I'll take it. I'm not in a hurry. Um, There's some really, really outrageous prices out there uh, that I'm not willing to pay, but I've got my eyes out. I'm looking around. Yes. Well, surprisingly, I was looking at a dual sport a couple of years ago as well. And, and the problem is I was hoping to get something that was like, you know, totally EMP proof. It's actually harder than you think, because even though they're all carbureted, they still have so many electronic components that it's hard to get one that will actually work with just points and, you know, a distributor and everything else. But anyway, but yeah, no, I think it's a good idea. How much are extra circuit boards, whatever, for those kinds of bikes? Are they still ridiculously expensive that it wouldn't be worth it to buy an extra set and keep them stored somewhere? I never really got that far into it because I basically got uh, vetoed by the uh, financial officer of the house. <laughs> so, 
and then, then the whole you know don't kill yourself on the road and everything else and so i was like okay fine but I, i'm still really tempted to go out and get one for you know the crown land behind me um to play with but which would actually probably be cheaper than a dual sport just to get a straight dirt bike but anyway we'll see yeah. when the, when the time comes to actually use it are you really going to worry about the on off road legalities of it oh i'm not worried about that part i'm just worried about like how well it handles the trails more than anything else because it's basically around here if you're not going over a log or a rock there's something wrong so it's ah. uh, it, it's not yeah, and that's that's train. that's kind of my idea of the the on off road thing is if for whatever reason i need to get out of dodge and the roads are blocked i want something that's going to be able to get me through the woods or or whatever and so i mean it doesn't have to be a total dirt bike but it's it's got to be something that will be capable of getting me certainly off-road for sure. Yeah, I don't think a Kawasaki Ninja is the way to go for a uh, an off-road bike if need be. Right? So they definitely have their uses. You know, one one goes fast, one goes over rough terrain. Yeah, but if, you know, if you're going fast enough and it's and if it's on a hill, you take enough air, you you know, you might get past your whatever blockade is out there. Probably yeah, die on cool. the other end, but <laughs> this is why women live longer than men. Yeah. <laughs> well, as long as you just practice it with, like, hey, everybody, watch this. Yeah, hold my beer. Yeah. Plus, uh, wow. if you've got a if you've got an off road bike, like a dirt bike, straight dirt bike, it can't really carry a whole lot of gear or cargo. No, Whereas, there's no like there's no uh, what do you call them? Not side saddle bags. bags. Saddle bags. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of anything on those things except for just a gas tank and and you. So, yeah, and and the same is is true with the 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 crotch rocket that it doesn't exactly have room for cargo. You might be able to carry somebody else, but then you're negating your your fuel mileage and and distance you can go. But it doesn't have uh, cargo capacity. Yeah, it's good for getting you to your next round of supplies. Yeah, yes, that's about it. quickly too. But that's about it. All right. As for myself, uh, yeah, I had I changed out the oil and generator. I kind of test ran it last week, and I forgot to drain the gas tank. Um, I knew the gas was kind of getting old and skunky. It's probably been in there for about eight, nine months, even with stable and everything else. So I drained the generator gas, and, and normally it's, like, clear and kind of straw-colored. This stuff looked like, you know, you hadn't drank water in six days and were having your first pee or something. It was... <laughs> It was gross. Anyway, it was, uh, you can see it was starting to gum up and everything else. So I, I drained the generator gas, uh, cleaned it all out the tank as best I could and kind of put a, a token gallon or two in there just to, to have it ready to go. Um, but yeah, it's important to do, I guess, because you don't want to have your carb get gunned, gummed up if you don't have a fuel cutoff or you want to make sure it starts reliably and everything else. So I thought I'd do that. Uh, let's see here. I was actually, I took possession of a Anderson power pole crimping tool which was not cheap but for all the ham radio stuff and anything with 12 volt systems it's great having these little Anderson power pole plugs and this little crimper makes the job so much easier so I started going crazy around the house and uh, doing the the Anderson power poles on everything I have that's 12 volts which is fantastic until such time as I got to my solar panel power station in the in the wall and I realized that the solar panel had stopped producing power for some reason so I ran outside, and the the MC4 connectors, which go from the solar power uh, panel just to the first set of wires, I think one of them's corroded out or something. So I got to I don't really have a crimpers for those now, and uh, I don't really they don't really come easy on off things. So I'm gonna have to redo that. 
so my solar panel main system right now is offline. This is my like my cell phone charger and stuff. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, Mild up some more rice and stuff like that just to uh, keep up with uh, food storage. Uh, I decided to go for a little trip to Cabela's and a couple other stores just to do some people watching. So as we know, on the 18th here, the gun grab thing is coming into force. So the not a registration registration. Um, so yeah, I was kind of curious to see how people were behaving and sure enough. Yeah. The gun counter at Cabela's was just going ape. And, uh, I actually sat back and talked with the manager for about 10 minutes about how silly people were behaving. He says like, it's just be like the beginning of COVID. Um, the people are waiting till like now to grab what they really want because they're worried about, you know, the man being able to track you. So anyway, it's just fun to watch more than anything else. Um, but other than that, not a whole lot going on because it's just so wet around here. I can't get the greenhouse finished. I can't get anything done outside. So kind of stuck inside. Okay, that's it. Oh, uh, before I forget, Alan, I'm not going to step over you. Sorry about that. I did take possession of my new bug out bag uh, from... Uh, Varush Daleka there, the, the Finnish people. I guess before they go to war with Russia, oh, they yes. sell off their surplus stuff. So uh, Better Andrew uh, had inspired a bunch of us there to get a, a new rucksack for the, the daily ruck march. I think it was a good deal. Um, I, it's, it's just out of reach, of course, right now, but basically, yeah, it's it's kind of a cool, it's like the uh, Dutch DPM camouflage, and it was 120 bucks shipped to my house, and it's massive, and it's got all sorts of bubbles and stuff <laughs> that you can hang stuff off. It's, it's pretty cool. So that was it. Excellent. Uh, well, I finally got my uh, garage gym set up, um, which is, you know, the entire was was the entire uh, catalyst for me getting uh, building a new garage in the first place. So that was uh, that was nice. Um, some friends of ours decided that they were going to leave Ontario, um, which is probably a really good idea. But then they decided they were going to go to BC. So I think those two things cancel each other out. Uh, but what it meant is that we have access to all of their. We we, we got to we got all of their equipment at a pretty uh, pretty reasonable price. So um, yeah, have a have a nice little gym set up there now. It's gonna have to come down when I finish the drywall, but that's uh, that's a summertime problem. And I've just been doing a lot of work more than anything. Um, looks like somebody I forget where up here uh, in the comments. Uh, oh, Denny said uh, welcome back. Yeah, I've. I have definitely been absent for a few weeks. It's been, uh, I've been dealing with some family stuff, so I haven't gotten much of anything else done except for um, just carrying on with what, uh, carrying on with, with our, with our day to day operations. But that's, uh, that's where I am. It's not uh, nowhere near as exciting as going to Cabela's. And honestly, Ian, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't do any CGN deals this week. <laughs> well, if I had, I wouldn't be saying anything because that would tell the man that I have something. So, you know, it's, it's all the <laughs> I can't admit to anything now. So that's the problem. Um, yeah. There's the, the backpack that, that came in Ooh, and it's, it's just waiting to be filled and 80 liters. I think it is. It's uh, it's that's a good a half size. A bag. Yep. And the two side things actually detach with zippers and everything else. So there's two oh, nice. 20 liter things on the side. And um, yeah, that was a good deal for what they're offering. Anyway, yeah, maybe send me the link on that. I was actually going to look for a new bag. Actually, while, we, while you're pontificating about the, the smoke stuff, I'll throw it in the uh, the uh, show notes or the, the chat on the side there as well and put it in the show notes. So. Sure no, I do. I'm looking as well. So. <clears throat> all right, cool. Um, all right, I guess it's time to move on to the main topic. Well, um, who was it? Dan in the uh, in the in the chat on YouTube um, killed this for me, but I was going to start with talking about carbon monoxide. Uh, so the biggest <laughs> danger when we're talking about fires, when we're talking about fires in general, our biggest danger is not generally the heat; it's the offset of oxygen. Uh, 
Uh, so specifically in an enclosed space, uh, burning fuels produces carbon monoxide. It's a natural byproduct, which displaces oxygen in the body and makes life impossible. Kyle, are you paying attention? We got it out early. Um, so a, a really, you know, on a really high level, I'm going to try and not nerd out too far on this because, um, well, no, I'm not. I'm going to get pretty nerdy about it. Uh, the fire triangle, as we've as we've all known from you know from day one, is it's true today is a thousand as it was a thousand years ago. You need heat, which is some kind of ignition source. You need fuel, which is stuff that burns. And you need oxygen uh, to support the combustion. Uh, one thing that we don't talk about is that fire triangle. I mean, it's been around for a million years. I've known that since I was in you know in scouts back when Christ was a corporal, but um, what we didn't what we don't talk about is that. Um, heat creates a chemical reaction within the fuel which then mixes with oxygen to react in what we see as a flame so in essence the fire is a result of a self-sustaining chemical chain reaction between a combustible and an oxygen and oxygen which is often visible as flame so our triangle has now become a tetrahedron this will be important later so we're talking about um, fires. Uh, there are two basic sources of fire, right? Or two basic uh, places where fire is going to be an issue. Outdoors, we're talking about wildfires. Um, they'll travel across anything, you know, any any kind of uh, any kind of flora. So whether that's heavily wooded, um, you know, heavily wooded pine trees or corn fields or grass, right? It, it's going to come. It's going to it's going to happen regardless of the cause. And that could be lightning. That could be you know, a, a vehicle parking on a hot, like a, a vehicle's hot exhaust parking on long grass. Uh, a million reasons that fire that, that wildfires happen. They are usually wind driven, so the the they will usually go from a, like in in this part of the world, anyways, from west to east or north to south, as the wind wherever the wind's pushing. Um, and wind fire will keep pushing downwind as long as there's fuel to burn. Your best bet for keeping your property safe is clearing as big a fire break as you can which is pretty well anything um, taller than knee high. So of course, big, you know, big fuel, uh, you know, trees, limbs, brush, brush, whatever, um, will, will burn a lot, but anything, you know, corn stalks, right? Old corn stalks will burn just as well. So create the biggest fire break you can by clearing anything knee high or taller. Grass burns too, uh, especially getting dry temperature. So a break between, uh, the, between grass and your house is also important. Um, I would generally say that if you can if you can create a, a break from your big um, your big fuel right from your trees and you know out a hundred feet you're probably in pretty good shape and then from your grass probably thirty like ten to thirty feet is is plenty. Grass fires they don't get terribly hot and they don't uh, they don't get terribly high and they burn out rather quickly. Uh, they will burn underground for a while if you've got a big open area, but uh, you know for the average lawn um, it's not gonna it's not gonna take a lot. Sorry, Alan. Uh, you said thirty feet for grass, and how much for anything else? At, at least a hundred. Yeah, is, okay. would be would be ideal, right? The the further out it is, uh, the less likely it is for that that those wind driven flames to or embers to come and and do do nasty things to your house. And that's that's the big that's the big thing, right? We always want to keep we want to keep not not just the source of fuel, but also whatever it's carrying. So all those embers. Um, as they burn off the as they burn off the brush, they'll be they'll be pushed by the wind. And if they're still hot when they reach the next landing point, that will help help advance fires. Uh, yeah, I was, so was going to say a lot of the a lot of the the houses that burn don't burn from the fire coming up to it. It's as you say the embers, the mm -hmm. the stuff floating that that lights the uh, you know if it's dry and hot, what's going to yep. be uh, 
a great ignition source is going to be shingles. They've yep. got petroleum in them and they're just going to go poof. And vi vinyl siding um, burns and melts really quickly. Great. Now you Plan. tell me. I'm just doing that in my house. I, I really <laughs> want to steal a roof for, for reasons, but yeah, no, unfortunately it was not meant to be. Yeah. But, I am, uh, but I am putting on tin next year. Yep. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it melts more than it burns, the vinyl, uh, which is good. Um, but yeah, um, so if, if you want to get, uh, if you want to get super, uh, if you live in fire, in wildfire country, right, if you like, you know, if it's, if it's a, a, a high level threat for you, and I think we did a, we did a risk analysis thing a few episodes ago. Um, it was probably 15 episodes ago now, because it's been a while since I've been on, but um, we did a risk analysis thing. So if that's, if that's a high risk for you, um, a really good practice would be to set out sprinklers um, kind of at the edge of your property. Uh, soak everything down for a couple of days beforehand when, when a wildfire is approaching if you can. And you can get even get even nerdier and set up um, like an external sprinkler that will keep your house cool. So if you can you can keep water you can keep watering your house to keep it from getting too hot, um, then you're minimizing the minimizing the the cause on the outside and then you're minimizing the, the risk on the inside. And the risk is never zero, but it's uh, it can it can get down to you know as low as possible. Um, another yeah, really I seen good... uh, I seen a thing on TV. It was a few years ago down in California. Obviously, they they're the wildfire capital of the world, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, they showed where one guy had taken uh, three basically lawn sprinklers and put them up at the peak of his roof and just let them go back and forth, and uh, he saved his house. Yep, absolutely. Because yeah, yeah, all all you need to do is cool those embers down enough that they don't do um, um, that they that they won't do any damage. So that's uh, it, it. It will absolutely work as long as you've got as long as you've got a water source, like a reliable water source. That's a it's a really excellent idea. Um, if you are pool. in wildfire country, sorry, backyard pool. Uh, that's exactly pool what the is, guy had actually. He was is, is a great pool. water source as long as you've got a pump and fuel, and the pump is the pump is going to work reliably. Right. So yeah. if you've got if you've got those things, then you're in pretty good shape. But um, I know in California right now they're they're saying expect expect that we're going to have to shut down the power grid, you know, in rotating sections to minimize the fire risk because like a, a downed wire will start a will start a massive blaze really quickly. So if you're if if you've got something close by, right, you, and you, you there's a good chance you won't have power. So make sure you've got something to run that uh, run that pump with. And then it will actually pump, and it'll actually put out enough enough volume to keep your, uh, um, right? You're like your your little your little like half inch discharge portable pump probably won't <laughs> put out enough water to keep three sprinklers, uh, keep three sprinklers going. So you might need something a little bit bigger and some adapters and uh, step downs, and that's you know that, that's all that's all pretty individual. But you can absolutely get like a two inch trash pump, um, and then put an adapter on that to step it down to a couple of like half inch garden lines, and that would. Uh, that would give you that would give you plenty of water, like plenty of volume. You don't need a ton of pressure, but you need you need enough volume uh, to keep the keep the sprinklers fed. But those will that'll drain a that would drain a, a pump like a, or a pool in uh, you know in a few hours. So it's it's still not still not the be all end all. Um, it's better than nothing. It's all yeah, absolutely. It's better than nothing, right? Everything everything is better than nothing. Um, just another another note, right? If you're building a deck, um, spend the extra money and get the composite uh, the composite decking instead of wood, because uh, if it does, if, like if a, if a fire does get to the get to that level, uh, if your deck goes up, it's gonna, you know, it's obviously a new fuel source that you're uh, that, that's gonna ramp up before before you can do anything about it. So, um, 
composite decking is, is well worth the investment if you live in wildfire country uh, or concrete, uh, things that don't burn. Well, I would think with uh, the uh, price of lumber too, I mean, maybe composite's the way to go anyway because it's probably the same price now. Well, as a commodity, it kind of goes it kind of goes up with the price of lumber because they've got... Uh, um, you know they've got you know lumber lumber's the de facto right but if you you know if, if the, the composite is a premium product compared to the lumber so it's always going to be more but it's uh but it's it's definitely well worth the extra investment there's not a, it's not a ton more um and it's and it's well worth it but it's uh yeah and those I, those fires you know big wildfires are, are are they don't actually get put out they get uh, they, they we use a process called fuel removal uh, where basically we just let it burn itself out and try and stop the try and stop the spread, and that's you know axes and shovels and cutting the, you know cutting out fire breaks and digging down to the mineral soil, getting rid of all the roots um, in as wide a swath as possible. And you know in you know here in Ontario we do that you know eight inches you know take down the big fuel you know few you know ten twenty feet wide, and then we take out the take out the the take down to the mineral soil maybe eight or ten inches wide. Um, you know, in California, they do that with bulldozers instead. You know, they're making fire breaks that are that are like highways wide, and yeah. they still and they still can't keep up with containment. It's uh, it's it's kind of painful watching uh, watching some of that happen. Uh, but we don't actually put out wildfires; we let them burn themselves out. Well, don't they? With the water, well, the water bombers too. They just basically do a square around it, right, with a retardant, and then they just yeah, yep. they try. Yeah, so the, yeah, the water like they're they're like for spot fires. Um, they will try and they will try and actually extinguish them before they get too big. But uh, uh, for the most part, yeah, they're they're putting down retardant to try and slow the spread more than anything. Try and let the the ground crews get ahead of it. Don't we have fire breaks already in place in some of the bigger areas? Yep. Yeah, there there's some pre-planned, but you can't predict where that fire is going to start. And oh, yeah. in a perfect world, well, in a perfect world, it wouldn't happen. But our our next to perfect is that it would. Uh, um, you can get to that fire and contain it before it gets to, you know, before it gets unmanageably big. But that's, uh, you know, wildfire, wildfire fighting is an entirely different animal. I actually just, uh, a friend of mine um, works in a, in a remote camp in Northern Ontario, um, which is another episode entirely, but definitely not for this CPP. Um, but, it, but got her, got her hands on a, uh, on the, the MNRs, um, wildfire training manual for me which is really really different from like from from uh structural firefighting so i uh i've got some got some reading to do and kind of learn a little bit more about some of the strategies and tactics that they use but that's uh that was that was a, a nice little find so i got a new book for that and thanks lisa if you're listening appreciate that um <laughs> yeah they were they were and and talking about i mean obviously everybody i mean with the drought and everything but they're even they're even saying I uh, I heard it the other day in, in California. They're basically saying uh, at some point they're not even going to be able to drop water on fires anymore because there's nowhere nope. to get the water from. Yeah, they're attached to an ocean, but somehow there's no water to get water. There's there's no water to, no place to get water from. I don't understand. Not that one of the I, and I can't remember the the name of the lake. It it passing yep. right now. It's, it's oh, old yeah. age. But anyways, yep. they I mean it's dropped so far that they're they finding. Mean- they're finding oh, no. dead bodies that they figure have been there since maybe the 60s or 70s. So, Lake Mead. Well, Lake Mead supplies Vegas, and that's on the Colorado system, but it's what supplies LA is actually Mono Lake, and that's way upstate, but it actually is so high up that they're actually siphoning more than pumps to actually get it down to LA. 
and um, that thing's been dropping steadily. Yeah, like you said, for years and years. Uh, Lake Mead, as a matter of fact, has dropped so low that they stopped generating power out of the Hoover Dam. Uh, it also doesn't help that the lake above it in the previous state, I can't remember which one, which call that offhand, but uh, uh, no, no, there's another one. It was another desert state. Anyways, maybe it's uh, Colorado or something. Maybe it's the, they actually shut off the upper lake to that one so that the Lake Mead is no longer getting any water right now. So it's kind of crazy. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's not good. Nope. I did I did read that article that Jeff had mentioned that uh, they were finding dead bodies in the Lake Mead, but I didn't know that they shut the water off from the further one. Yeah, that's uh, whew, that yeah. sucks. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of gross, uh, and it, and it makes problems worse rather than better. Uh, and so yeah. again, they're they're focusing a lot more on. Um, on clearing fire breaks and just letting the letting the fuel burn letting the fuel burn itself out. Um, so that's that. will cover kind of the the basics of the outdoor. Um, keep your keep your stuff in order. Is the is the the, the, the long and short of that? Keep your fires small. Um, call for help early. Right. The the small the, the the faster a crew can respond to a potential problem, the less it, the less of a problem it becomes. So if you do manage to, you know, flick a cigarette and you realize that something's smoking, please just call it in. It's going to save everybody a whole lot of effort. And uh, yeah, on, on your own property, just make sure that you're keeping your keeping your campfire small and your grass trimmed, and get rid of as much as you can, and keep your, uh, you know, keep as much water as you can on hand. Uh, so inside. The house things are a little bit different, right? Your main sources, your two main sources of fire inside, are intentional heat like stoves, fireplaces, candles, uh, and electricity. So your your heat sources, um, anything that produces heat can cause a fire. Um, I remember very vividly. I think it was I can't remember whether it was um, Thanksgiving or Christmas, but I remember my my grandma dropping an oven mitt onto the uh, like the element in the in the oven. Uh, Smoked out the whole house in just a few seconds. Uh, doesn't take it doesn't take a lot of fire to uh, to to fill a house, to fill a building with smoke. Um, your best answer for that is always to separate flammable materials from heat sources. Uh, after that, we only had silicone oven mitts in the house. So well, and also don't let me change perfect. cell phone batteries in the house either. Keep smoke out. Just that's electricity. Yeah. <laughs> it's an electrical problem. Um, well, yeah, just keep, so keep your like separate your your flammable materials from heat sources. Um, candles are are a very common preparedness item for power outages. They're great. They produce heat. They produce light. They're comforting. They um, they're they're stay they're shelf stable. They're easy to store. They're all of those great things. Um, but they're also an open flame. And if they can if they get tipped over, whether it's because um, well, it's because you know you've got maybe an open window and your curtain blows and knocks your candle over, or even just passes over it. That, that can catch fire. Um, you put you put it on you put your candle on maybe a soft surface. You don't necessarily have it on um, necessarily have your candle on the on the the most you know the, on the nice wide platform, whatever it might be. Just make sure that you've got it uh, you've got it set up in a way to that it can't fall over and never like don't leave candles unattended in a room. That's uh, that's a big thing. It, happens all the time somebody will you know the light candles they'll in one room they go somewhere else it burns down it tips over something changes within the room that you're not planning on and all of a sudden things are on fire that shouldn't be one one uh one one thing and it happened to uh a friend of mine's their their dog the the tail going by yep. 
knocked it over and uh, lit their um, lit their curtains on fire. And I mean, luckily they were right there. But I mean, you know, yeah, if you're gonna do that, keep it up somewhere out out of the reach of your animals too. Yep, it's it's just it's just that easy, right? It's real. It's really happy. It's really quick. Um, Kyle makes a makes a good point. Fire, fire doubles every sixty seconds. Um, it, it it can. It, it's that's really dependent on on the fuel source, um, but it's that's absolutely absolutely possible. Um, we used to have you know when with uh, with older construction where you use where you solid uh, you know solid lumber for for all the framing. Um, the average house fire had about 17 minutes from ignition to it being fully involved. Now, because everything is made of plastic and petroleum products and it's all glued together instead of fastened with nails, um, you've got about three minutes from ignition to fully involved. So you have time to grab all your favorite stuff, just uh, one no. thing or two and go away. Eh? Don't, don't grab things. Stuff's replaceable. That's why you've got it. That's why you've got a bag in your, a bag in your car. Um, just, just get out. Like you're not you're not grabbing you're not grabbing things you're just getting out the getting out the door getting out the window whatever it is um i will take uh i will take jumping from a second story window and having to deal with the with the, the pain of that over trying to fight my way through smoke because i've been there and it sucks um one of the things that that doesn't get shown on tv or in movies very well is just how dark and smoky um fires really are like the 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 you know your visibility we we all remember going through the going through the the, the the house on fire safety day with the fire department and when, when we were kids and I, you know they say get low or they put uh, they put a couple of chairs out and they brought across and you had to crawl under it and crawl under the desk whatever to get out um it like you've got zero visibility in a minute and a half inside you inside never the house. did that you never did that oh you're missing you never out never did that okay so can you debunk some movie stuff over it the wet blanket trick um, yeah, well, I mean, closing doors is absolutely like one hundred percent, like one hundred percent. Closing a door will will absolutely make your life better. It will create what's called a tenable space, and the less air movement coming through, the better off you are. Right? Again, fire is not the problem with with uh, you know in a house fire. It's always the smoke. Doesn't even have to be a wet blanket. Stuff a blanket under the door, right? Close that gap as much as possible, and you'll be in really, really good shape. Um, there are I pictures. I really debunked the actual movie question, which was if you put a wet, wet blanket over yourself, can you run through the room and make it make a run for it that way? Oh, that um, <laughs> could you? Yes, probably. Uh, actually, no, you probably couldn't because again, it's the smoke, not the heat. Yeah. Um, just get out the window. Get out the nearest window. Um, Carrie had a question and I missed it. She did. And I was just waiting to, to get a break oh, in there. Uh, she asks, can you recommend a hand pump? I live down from a large river and I'm wondering how I can prep to have a pump for use, uh, for water for multiple scenarios. Uh, it depends on what you like. If you're actually planning on drawing from the river, um, well, I, I don't know how a hand pump would, would be able to supply your house unless you were like just pumping into the back of a vehicle to drive it up to your house. Yeah. Um, a powered pump would probably be more effective. Um, if you're, you know, if you've got a, if you have any distance to travel, otherwise, um, the, the short answer is no, I don't have anything like off the top of my head that I can recommend. Um, I would go with something, I would tend to go with something that's powered, um, just for the sake of efficiency and whether you can get, whether you get one that has a, you know, has an engine built into it or whether it's something that is, uh, like a plug-in sump pump that uh, that you can 
that you can run with a generator. Um, that would be my kind of my number one choice. But depending on how far you have to take it, whether it's uphill or downhill, there are a lot of variables that would uh, that that would um, be uh, that would there would be decision making factors on that. So uh, what I would say instead, Carrie, is uh, shoot me an email. Um, Alan with one L at prepperpodcast.ca. Um, grab a little bit more detail from you, and then we'll see what we can come up with in terms of a solution for you. And maybe if uh, if it's okay with you, we'll talk about it on a future episode. Um, and we can talk about you know moving moving water from one place to another yeah, efficiently. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead, Ian. If she had a static system that she'd leave in place, it'd be one thing. Like to you know set up a hand yep. pump and have it ready to go or something like you get a bison pump from the states there's a few other companies that do that one of them uh, the big one being bison i guess that you can customize to what you need and uh, but of course you, if you're leaving it down there and it's not on your property well then obviously somebody could just walk away with it too so yeah so there there are a few there are a few options and a few variables that would uh that would all affect that decision but um shoot me an email where i can ask a few more questions and we can uh um we can see what we'll, we'll see what we can come up with and uh we'll put it out you know, get the panel involved and find some find a solution, and then we'll talk about that on another uh, on another episode. Uh, the other yeah, place you can send just, that is. I was just I was just kind of thinking if, I mean, if you're looking for to get water for drinking that kind of stuff, a hand pump would be okay. But yeah. you're not going to get you're not going to get any pressure out of it to be able to, in my opinion, to be able to really do anything in terms of uh, a wildfire or anything like that. You, your hand pump's not going to get you enough pressure. Yeah. Well, and Dave does bring up a good point too with the ram pump. So that's like basically a heart valve made out of uh, plumbing parts, and uh, it runs on a uh, I guess an efficiency scenario where you're having if she, if she actually is downhill from a from a river, that would kind of be something she could think about is basically because the water has to flow down a bit, run through this ram pump, and the net result is that they you lose a bit of water at the bottom of the pump, but then there's actually an amount that gets pumped up above you, and it's, it requires no power. Um, so that's kind of neat because it's uh, engineer seven seven five on YouTube does a great thing on a ram pump, and um, it's maybe twenty bucks worth of plumbing parts and a bunch of tubing. So the tubing would be the expensive part, but yeah, it's a yeah. thought. But every situation is different, right? So, yeah, we, we need we need a little bit more detail, but uh, I think that would be a fun project to uh, to learn to, to to work on. So yeah, shoot us an email and we'll uh, we'll we'll ask a few more specific questions and we'll come up with a solution and then we'll talk about it on another episode. Um, that sounds fun. So yeah, um, so where was I in my notes here? Oh yeah, electrical fires. Um, so electricity is a transfer of energy along a conductor, and it always produces heat. The if there's a short, a damaged wire, um, which can happen through improper installation, can happen through rodent interference, they can chew through insulated insulation, uh, whatever it may be or an open connection, such as a plug that's not entirely plugged in, then um, it can cause all kinds of, it can, it can cause a short, it can cause a spark, it can increase the amount of heat, uh, and that can, um, that can set fuel around you, um, set the fuel around it on fire. So keep curtains, towels, whatever kind of, you know, combustibles away from electrical outlets and lights, and that will be your be your number one. Make sure that your electrical work is done to code. Uh, I'm not a big fan of government regulations in general. I think that should become as no surprise to anybody. Um, but the electrical code is one of those one of those documents that's written in blood. Um, it exists because we've had some pretty significant electrical fires, and the resulting disaster has prompted change. So it's it's um, 
we we do things that way for a very good reason. Um, and even if you're not, even if you're not doing things, you know, you're not, you're not putting in your 10,000 hours of apprenticeship time to become a, a, a licensed electrician, understanding how to make a solid connection and why we put connections in boxes and how to protect wires from, uh, from damage and using the right size wire for your load and things like that, um, will go a long way. Um, electricity is one of those things that if you are, um, if you are not, um, if you're not good at it, hire it out. Um, find a way, find a way to learn, because that's uh, that gets uh, that, that's again, it's a huge it's a huge cause of fires, and it's uh, it's something that you, you often don't see until it's too late. Um, Jeff had asked one of one of them, I think it was Jeff, had asked about uh, chimneys. In the notes, uh, sorry. Before I go, move on, Carrie. Uh, no, but um, if you want to touch on it, I mean, obviously, I've got a wood stove, and I, yeah. I do all my, uh, I do all my own chimneys. But I learned from somebody when I had to have it wet certified, and That's, you know, I, I, that. I do my own chimneys. I do them a couple times a year, and I've never had an issue, and I don't know how many years. So. Yep, that's the that's the big thing is is uh, so um, the reason you have to clean your chimneys um, every fire that burns everything that burns carbon um, off gases some unburned fuel so it's always incomplete combustion we usually see that as smoke um, but that is uh, you know it, it's smoke is not necessarily you know it's not usually bad except that in a contained system like a chimney um, the the unburned part the unburned you know, bits of bits of fuel that are in the air will build up on the inside of your will build up on the inside of your chimney over time. Um, usually, when it's been left for a while, we see chimney fires mostly in the fall when people fire fire up their, their stoves and their wood stoves and fireplaces for the first time in the season. Um, you add heat to that, and all of a sudden, when the conditions are right, you've got you know a buildup of fuel in the chimney. You put heat to it, and it's you know it's drawing oxygen, and all of a sudden you've got a chimney fire. Uh, and chimney fires are um, they can be uh, they can be pretty terrible for um, for getting for for putting out mostly because they're completely inaccessible. Uh, and we could just you know stick a hose in and and run a deluge of water down it. But when you put cold water on hot clay liners. Uh, they tend to explode and do a lot more damage than necessary. So we tend to brush them out more than uh, more than put them out or uh, wet them out. So that's um, it, it's it, it's not hard to clean a chimney yourself. The the the, the equipment isn't terribly expensive uh, if as long as you're comfortable going up on the going up on the roof and uh, uh, doing some climbing. It, it's an easy prevention task. But like Jeff said, learn from somebody who knows. Um, if you're paying, a, if you're paying a um, you know a chimney sweep or a wet certified inspector to clean your chimney, um, it's never, it's not wrong to watch over shoulder. Hey, why are you doing it this way and why are you doing it that way? And most people, you know, they should be able to answer those questions. Um, there's also a lot of resources out there of you know of how to do it, and I'm sure that if you look hard enough, you can find the you know the wet certification standards and manuals in uh, out, out there in the world and learn how to do it. And of course, you're not going to do it for anybody. You're not going to do it for, for somebody else, but for yourself, uh, understanding how to how to inspect it yourself and how to clean it when you need to. It starts with knowing what a clean chimney looks like, right? So you're going to have, um, you're going to have a per, you know, have it done professionally, know what it looks like when it's when it's good to go. And then that gives you a baseline to, to work towards. 
Oh, and I think at least two of us on the panel here clean our own chimneys too. And payback's the first year. I mean, you spend might be sixty bucks on chimney sweeping equipment, but that's less than half of what you pay somebody to clean your chimney anyway. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. So yeah, I, it. just, I just have the um, the round brush and three uh, K or. Um, Rods that interconnect, they're fiberglass, they're flexible. And uh, yeah, like Ian said, I think I paid 55 bucks for a kit and it was three lengths of rod, which is like 30 feet and uh, and a brush. Yep. It's, it's not it's not expensive. And once you like... Once I've you done know, it from my parents, I don't know. Yeah, once once you know what the stand what what to what to look for, it's 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 easy to do and it's uh it, it's a it's a very worthwhile thing to be able to do for yourself. Um, so understanding fires or, or detection of fires. Yep. Uh, check with your local fire department about regulations. Somebody asked in the in the show notes about uh, um, smoke alarms and, and detectors. So the difference is a detector is um, something that 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 finds the smoke whereas an alarm is something that tells you so what we have in our houses are not necessarily not strictly detectors but they're generally alarms um you in in ontario we're required to have a smoke alarm on every floor outside every sleeping area uh, and in a lot of new builds most municipalities are demanding inside every sleeping area so there can be you know upwards of 10 detectors in a four-bedroom house is uh, there a is there a better place to put the detector for smoke? Is it is it better higher up as high. opposed to yep. high up? Um, heat heat rises. It, um, smoke being unburned fuel is always hot, uh, so it'll be on the ceiling first, and then it will work its way down. Um, so high high up is the is the place to go. We put we like to see those on the ceiling. Um, carbon monoxide detectors, however, CO um, by itself uh, is is neutrally buoyant, so it doesn't rise or sink. It, it mixes pretty cleanly with the air, but it tends to move in really weird pockets. Um, so whether that's up high or down low doesn't strictly matter. Uh, what I would what I would recommend though is avoid the the combination gas alarms unless you're going to go with like a, an industrial quality one. Uh, I've just I've seen a lot of them fail, uh, and they are when they do they um, their failure is that they go into alarm, and so you're you end up in a very stressful situation where you think that things have gone very badly in your house, and the fire department shows up and it's a it's just a fault. It's just a faulty detector. So I would I would say that it's it's better to have like a dedicated CO alarm instead of a combination gas detector. Um, yeah, so my uh, my my CO alarm went off last year, but it was uh, an electronic version, so yep. it, it would like give the numbers, and it said right on it it was going off, and I looked right at it, and it said right on it error. So yep. I knew right away that the the detector was bad. I took it out, went bought a new one and put it right back in so yep um yeah absolutely so um obviously prevention is better than cure make sure your your fuel burning appliances are properly maintained your chimneys cleared all that stuff never ever ever run your vehicle inside your garage even if the door is open um co pockets drift with air movement and they can show up in really strange places on different floors or areas of the house far away from from the source so always always run your vehicles outside um, so we got, and then my, my next step was going to be controlling fire. And I see Carrie's got a question about, um, fire, getting your fire extinguishers checked. Um, you can inspect them yourself on your, on, you know, there's a, in, in, in a commercial setting, you have to inspect your fire extinguisher monthly. 
uh, it's not a bad idea for us to do that as well at home. Um, your best thing, just take a quick look, make sure there's nothing blocking the tube, uh, the discharge hose, flip it upside down, make sure you can hear the powder inside kind of running up and down and make sure the gauge is still green. Uh, that's a that's a that's a great inspection. Um, fire extinguishers uh, have a have a stat they have a life they have a lifespan. Um, they need to have a hydrostatic test every um, usually five to five to six years. Usually you don't want to do it on a five year cycle um, where you have to go to a have to go to a company that's allowed to do that. Um, there are, there are plenty of them around. Um, they don't charge a whole ton to do that. It's probably like I think it's like thirty bucks to have ten extinguishers checked or something. Um, but they'll They'll empty it. They'll hide. They'll do a hydrostatic test. Make sure the the container is still able to hold material. They'll refill it, and you're ready to go for another for another five years. Uh, and then they tend to expire and can't be. They can only be high, They can only be tested twice. Um, so you do only five and ten year cycle, or I think Kyle's mentioning six to twelve. Um, and frankly, I don't remember the exact uh, the exact NFPA regulation on that. Um, but you can only have it. Re you can only have it hydrostatically tested twice. So after like so if it's on six year cycle, then after at the year eighteen, it needs to be replaced, and it can't be it can't be tested again. Um, but for the cost Question of that, for you. yeah, um, the little um, fire extinguisher like spray can, I guess, for lack of a better yep. term, that you get at Costco. How mm -hmm. how effective are those things? On grease fires specifically, uh, we actually did an episode about this, uh, like two years ago i don't remember which episode it was we kind of put it in with something else but um about two years ago we did that it's uh it's really effective specifically on things like grease fires uh and liquid fuel fires but um like a wood fire beyond, wouldn't do no wood it's, fire it's been, i wouldn't i wouldn't bother it, it's it, been for like the the small kitchen like you know yeah. it's, it's it's a pot it's a pot on stove yeah Aha. problem that's okay. what, what it's really intended for um because it's it, and you're 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 getting ahead of me here because it's 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 part of, that's that's part of the next like five lines of, of my notes here. <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm trying to. Where I'm answering questions <laughs> from the from the audience at the same time. This is the benefit of doing it live. Hey, uh, <laughs> so we we take uh, we control fire by removing one of the four elements of the uh, of the tetrahedron. So you can remove the oxygen, which is smothering it, which is exactly what we were talking about by uh, putting a film over it. That's like, or you can you can also do that by putting a grease fire uh, by putting it by smothering a grease fire. You put the pot lid on. This is a really good idea. It's a really good idea to have you know lids for your pots that mat that fit properly. I know I didn't for the longest time. I you know just had the had the hand me downs that I got from uh, got from when I when I moved out on my own 20 years ago. And uh, you know you've you've got a pot you've got a lid that kind of covers it and uh, and whatever. Um, but they uh, and uh, never. I mean, you would know, and you may get to this, Alan. I might be jumping in, but never, never, never throw water on a grease fire. Nope. No, 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 no. We're definitely not going to do that. Um, so we want to smother it or interrupt the chemical process. Um, so with with uh, with specifically with a grease fire, you want to smother it. You want to remove the oxygen. If you remove the oxygen, you interrupt the chemical process. It can't burn anymore. Or um, hit it with something that is specifically designed for grease fires, which is um, a class K a class K foam, which in nerd speak is an AR ARA triple F, uh, which is an aqui an alcohol resistant aqueous firefighting foam. Um, by the way, you have to be able to say that three times fast to pass the test. 
uh, and if it, what it does, it creates a film on the on the top of the uh, creates a film on the top of the liquid, uh, and it's a it's a soapy quality that that bonds to the grease molecules and helps keep them separated, and then they can't ignite to each other. Um, so there are four basic or five basic uh, classes of extinguishers for three kind of types of fires. So your class A extinguisher, uh, your class A fires are, are solid combustibles. That's your wood, paper, anything carbon-based. Um, you can use water just fine on, on, an, on, on a carbon, uh, on anything solid, a class A fire. Class B is liquid combustibles, like gasoline, kerosene, whatever, but not a grease fire in the kitchen. Um, usually smothering those is the best way to put them out or just let it burn if you can. Uh, we, use, we generally use foam for that. Um, a class C fire or class C extinguishers for anything anything with energized electrical equipment. So it's not really a type of fire, but it's a type of extinguisher. So you'll see an ABC fire extinguisher. Uh, those are probably the most common, and those are the ones you definitely want in your house because uh, that will manage solid combustibles. It will manage liquid combustibles, and it is safe to use on energized um on energized electrical equipment. So all that means is that the type of ext the, the, the extinguishing media inside it um, won't conduct electricity. So it's not water, which will obviously conduct electricity and, and kill you while you're trying to fight the fire, um, but it will, it'll be a powder that uh, interrupts the process and doesn't conduct electricity. And then once the power is shut off, uh, it becomes a class A or B fire, whether it's a solid or liquid. Well, that's so why I think vehicle ones are BC only, right? They don't have like, uh, they don't want to worry about they're worried about electrical i guess conduction yep. and everything else so it's usually just yep. a bnc fire extinguisher for vehicles yep in a lot of cases that's correct um there is a class d um you don't see that ter terribly often uh, but combustible metals uh, things like magnesium uh, we use magnesium fire starters all the time they're great uh, magnesium is really um uh, it's a really uh fun little challenge because water doesn't put it out Water just makes the, the, the superheated magnesium explode into uh, 10 million little fires instead of one big fire. Uh, and aluminum, I guess, once it gets going. Yep. Takes, yep. takes a while. Most, most, most metals, like if you get them hot enough and they actually start to burn, um, they're very difficult to extinguish because it takes a lot of, uh, you, have to, you have to displace a lot of heat in order to put it out. Um, with magnesium, we just expect that it's going to go for, we expect it's going to go for a while. Um, there are... Um, you know, when when with mag with class D extinguishing agents, um, they're often you know bags of clay. It kind of looks like kitty litter, and you, you're basically pouring it on top, and you're kind of creating a crust that um, that smothers it. But it requires such little oxygen um, that you're basically just letting it burn itself out in a safe manner until you know for a couple of days afterwards. Um, but if you uh, if you if you if you want to go on, if you want to go on YouTube and watch uh, watch videos of people putting out uh, vehicle fires, because uh, a lot of because the magnesium is a very lightweight metal, uh, a lot of car parts are made out of magnesium, uh, and you see when uh, when the water hits it, it's uh, it's quite the fireworks show. And then our last one is a Class K fire. Um, so these are foam systems that you usually see in uh, commercial kitchens. So they smother grease fires very quickly. Uh, those are usually built-in systems rather than portable. But uh, as Brad was was uh, mentioning earlier, you can get the kind of spray spray can of the uh, the ARA Triple F, and a couple of cans of that is really handy to have on have really handy to have in the kitchen and. It, uh, yeah, like I said, it kind of interrupts the process. So no matter what you're doing, you want to either 
you have to remove one of the, you have to remove one of the four elements of the fire. So you have to remove the oxygen by smothering it. You have to interrupt the chemical process, which is what most ABC extinguishers do because they're they're powder. Um, they're they're specifically designed to interrupt the chemical process rather than actually cool it or cool it down or um, smother it. Um, with class A, you can just put water on it, and, or you, know, you can just put water on it, and it will it will absorb the heat. If you're doing if you're doing that inside, um, you're going to create a lot of steam and a lot of smoke in your house. But outside, that's you know, there's no need to get a fire extinguisher going for that. And um, I think that's all I have to say about extinguishers. Inspect them every once in a while, flip them upside down. You should be able to hear the hear the uh, the material moving up and down. It, it it should be solid. Like it should never be solid if it's um, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a like a. It almost looks like flour. Um, mm-hmm. when, you, uh, when when you when you when you take it out of the uh, out of the extinguisher, uh, it almost looks like flour. So it, it kind of has that consistency. So if it, if there was any moisture in it, it can get cakey. But um, it it shouldn't as long as uh, as long as you use it. And when you're using a, an extinguisher, the the very same things apply as they always have. You pass right. You pull the pin, aim at the base of the fire, squeeze the handle, and sweep side to side. Um, you want to stay you know kind of as far back as you can. It's not like depending on the size of the extinguisher. Um, depending on the size of the extinguisher, you might have to get a little bit closer if it doesn't have a nozzle. If it's a you know if it's a smaller. Um, a smaller um, extinguisher, the bigger ones tend to have a little bit more pressure. You can be back 30 or 40 feet sometimes. Um, but just give the handle a little squeeze, and you'll see how far it's shooting. If it's not effective, you might have to move a little bit closer. Uh, if you want to be super cool like me, you would always approach from upwind so that you've got the wind at your back and you're facing the fire, and you never want to ba- you never want to turn your back on a fire because they have a tendency to light up again pretty quick. Um yeah, and uh, it, you know, for the thirty or forty bucks that you you know you want to find a couple of extra extinguishers kicking around, then it's not uh, it's not a bad thing to have handy. Um, yeah, they're ugly. Yeah, they're they're obtrusive. They don't uh, they don't necessarily match the uh, um, the decor in your house terribly well, but um, you won't have to worry about that much if your house catches fire and you don't have a thing to put it out with. So you get new decor then, right? You get new decor. Yeah, um, my my former fiance, her mother had uh, three grease fires in about two years in their kitchen. wasn't very big. Did the safe thing, just put the top, the, the, the pot top on it. Yep. But I said to her, you should have a fire extinguisher handy, not too far away from the stove so that you can grab it real quick. And mm-hmm. her response to that was, oh, we did that years ago. My husband mounted one to the wall, and it, I didn't like the look of it in the kitchen, so I took it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. My 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 same response as as Ian. Huh, beautiful new decor, right? That's what you want. Yeah, that's what you want. But uh, I mean, at the very least, you could have like an open box of Cal Brand baking soda in the cl- in the cabinet, and you know, worst case scenario, you can sprinkle it on or something. I don't know if you don't have a lid or, or whatever. But yeah, that's. I mean, it it's it, it does the same thing as smothering, right? If you open the yeah. uh, like you rip the rip the box top off and spread as much uh, spread yeah. the baking soda on top, it it actually yeah, it acts like a like a class D actually. Um, yeah. Extinguishing agent, and it, it kind of creates a film on top, or the like a crust on top, which is fine. Um, but yeah, very, very much. Do not apply water to grease. Um, again, there are a million YouTube videos out there of people putting water on a grease fire, and what happens is when that is it because the 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 water like water is heavier than oil, and so when you put water on 
a grease fire or an, on an oil fire, it will sink to the bottom and then because it's superheated it will start to boil so it will create a create an outward pressure uh, which just takes all those little bits of liquid that are on fire and spread them significantly further away well yeah it creates a steam bubble and blows them out right so yeah, yeah. um a couple of things i just want to add alan is just uh, so when you're doing the the i guess seasonal testing of your batteries or replacing them to the batteries and everything else i also just like to take a rubber mallet to the bottom of those extinguishers give them a quick little thump to, to make sure they're not caked up Yep. It's just one thing. Yeah, I just, I just tip it upside down, but yeah. to, each, to each their own. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then uh, the other thing I was just going to mention, the the pass, you mentioned point, aim, squeeze, and shoot. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, squeeze and sweep, should I say? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I actually briefed that on the kids. Uh, like I think we must have talked about it for an hour before I get let them use some old ones that we're just going to use up and, and you know, <laughs> try. And, of yep. course, the first thing they did is they, they ran up to the fire that I had going for them. And they started shooting at the flames, not the base of the fire. So, yeah. like, because the, the flames are the scary part, right? I was like, well, that's not going to do anything. You can actually aim at the bottom. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you got to you got to hit the bottom, right? Because if you if 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 you want to get if you want to get super nerdy about it, yeah, make a fire and then get them right down at the level of the fuel burning. And what you'll see is that the flames are sitting, you know, a half inch to an inch above the surface of the wood. And so that's the, the chemical process. It's called pyrolysis. Uh, the chemical process, right? When you heat the wood, it, it sets off, it, it off gases. And that gas, once it's superheated, mixes with oxygen. And that's the thing that actually burns. And you want to you get that extinguishing agent between like the base of the flame and the wood itself. And that's what's going to interrupt the chemical process. Yeah. So I just I think it's definitely worth your while if you have people that are new to the fire scene. Um, spend the money if you can or find some old ones that people don't want anymore that maybe are expired or something just give them a let them have a practice run with a with a fire extinguisher for real it's absolutely cool. and like there are plenty there are plenty of uh plenty of places i know we were just uh with the search and rescue team just last weekend we were out at uh um um out at like an emergency services day and the fire department actually had their had their burn can going or not their burn can but their uh um their uh their burn box so it's you know it's just a little just a little gas powered thing right and um, they set it up in the parking lot and they got half a dozen extinguishers and you, they'd light the fire and everybody had the chance to pull the pin and, and put, and put the fire out. Um, so check with, you know, not a bad idea to check off, check with your, um, um, local fire department and specifically the prevention, uh, prevention inspection division. And they will, uh, if they've got something going, they'll, they'll let you know about it. Uh, or if you've got a few people that want to try it, they might be able to just do that with you because they do the same thing, right? They take all the extinguishers that are within the building and like I, I, Ontario code for, for sure, and I don't know if it's everywhere, but Ontario uh, building code says you've got to have a fire extinguisher for every 25 square meters in a commercial occupancy. Uh, that's a lot of fire extinguishers. So they have a tendency to go bad before they get used. And it's not uh, it's not unreasonable that there's, there's always fire extinguishers kicking around. Um, that can be that can be used for uh, used for for training, uh, and just one more kind of note on that: if you're going to use a fire extinguisher, whether you just kind of tap the handle or whether you discharge all of the uh, um, all of the contents, it still has to be recharged, and it's still going to cost you the same. So you might as well go ahead and use the whole thing. <laughs> yep. Just kind of like it's kind of like breaking the seal on a bottle of booze or something. Yeah. Just throw it away and yeah, <laughs> spray spray and pray. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's a lot of information about uh, about uh, fires and fire extinguishing. Um, questions from the crowd, but it's still good info. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's see here, actually, I think uh, 
I think we kind of covered it mostly as we went. Uh, maybe scroll down and see if you can find any other questions there. I'm just going to uh, just go over mm -hmm. my stuff quickly here too. Yep. So fire season coming up for us in the forest here. And a couple of things like Alan mentioned, the fire break, make sure you have a decent fire break around the house. It took me forever to get mine done, but I finally got it done. But more importantly now for myself, especially like I've got, after having done the fire break this spring, I have a bunch of ground fuel sitting around. So branches, evergreen needles, um, you know, anything, bark, all that stuff obviously is going to, you know, allow the fire to get closer to your house. You got to clean up the ground fuel just as much as you got to take down the trees. So don't just do the job half-assed like I have. So <laughs> I'll work on that. And uh, the other thing I was going to mention, you know, as the campfire ban happens, maybe give thoughts to the propane fire versus the, the campfire, uh, whatever. It's not nearly as cool, but it's a little more controllable for sure. Um, the other thing I was just going to mention too, I had an experience last year because uh, they had a chainsaw ban. So I ended up having a, a chat with the, the local fire chief because he didn't like me at the idea of me running a chainsaw. And um, so it turns out that where I am, for example, they actually don't have the ability to refill the fire truck um, in a timely fashion. It might take a 45 minute round trip to actually refill the fire truck from where we are. So really what they have on the truck is all they have, which isn't a whole lot, as you know, Alan, right? Like this. There's not a six, whole lot of six, six minutes of firefighting water is, is generally what's on a, on an engine. Yeah. So really like that's not going to do anything if your house is on fire. Right. So nope. um, that's what we don't have it's, any hydrants here or anything else. So they have to go and refill. That's, that's, that's enough water. That's enough water to, to contain the fire to your house generally. Yeah, that's what it is. Just consider your house a loss. So, no um, which would also maybe wonder why I'm paying property tax for fire control. But anyway, that's another whole story. But the next thing was I, should uh, actually one thing I'm missing on my preps is a big ass uh, gravity tank above the house here, um, which I was I've been doing some digging on and and you know about a buck a gallon for storage. So if you want a thousand gallon tank, it's you know at least a thousand bucks if not more. Uh, but it is some digging. I found a guy uh, on YouTube, uh, Curtis Stone. He's a, a homesteader in Kelowna. So for a couple of our listeners that are fairly close to that, might be worth checking out. Um, He's figured out a system that allows maybe what Carrie was asking too, I guess, too. If you have a, a tank above your house, you can actually get a solar system set up that isn't going to work as an on-demand pump. It's going to work more as like a, a dribble thing. And so as the sun gives you just enough power to get a little tiny, tiny dribble of water uphill above your house, it might take two weeks to fill your tank, but eventually you'll get your tank filled and keep it filled uh, on kind of a, instead of an on-demand basis, more of as a, as a gradual basis and that way if you need a, a a massive amount of water quickly you have a gravity tank with a nice thick pipe available to run downhill on demand so just a thought there um yeah that's something i need to work on for sure it is doable a thousand gallons of water is not going to put out a house fire oh no no but at least it's going to augment something right like it's going to help yeah even if you have a not a, so much a house fire even if it's just a grass fire around your house or whatever yeah. right you know and it would, yeah it would definitely be it would definitely be good at, at like preventing fire right? like feeding your sprinkler system it'd be yeah. fantastic for that but it's um yeah and like to cal's point um in the chat in the in the the youtube uh live chat like they not have tankers no they just don't have enough um well, generally, the whole idea is just to hook up to a, a hydrant, which feeds the truck, which feeds the pump, which you know keeps it going. But so that's generally that's generally what happens in an urban setting. In this, in, yeah. a, in a rural setting, like you know, ninety-five percent of the continent, um, you run a series of tanker shuttles, and they put out a pond, which then the tankers dump into the pond, and then the engine draws from that to keep the to keep the water going. But um, depending on where you're, you know, the further away you are from 
um, from a, a municipal from a municipal water source, the um, the longer it is to be able to fill up. Um, so if you if you're if you're somewhere where you're not near a lake, you're not near um, you're not near a, a hydrant because they don't have water mains for it, then um, you're still you're still a heck of a drive. Like there's a, there's a place in you know uh, actually not far from Jeff where I we cottage on a pretty regular basis, and the only hydrant in town is uh, is what's called a, is what's called a dry uh, a dry hydrant, which um, is just literally it's a, it's a fire hydrant on the on the surface, but it's a pipe that goes down and goes into the lake about ten feet under the uh, um, about ten feet under the under the surface so that it doesn't freeze, and they draw from that, and their response area is an hour from anywhere, right? an hour from the, 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 the center of the town where the hydrant is. So even with five tankers, if you're driving an hour out and back, it's a long way to go. Yeah, so uh, literally we have uh, we have storage tanks of water that you know like are obviously raised up above the truck level that they dump yep. into the truck. And like I said, but there's only like one, and it's like two miles away, and it takes mm -hmm. time to fill a truck. And there's you know another one on the other side of the the highway but no hydrants and um, there's only one full-time firefighter here. One, the chief, uh, the rest of the guys are all volunteers. So they show up after the fire call happens, they have to get out of bed, you know, get to the fire station, put on their gear. Eight, and then eight minutes generally. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a while. Um, so yeah, we obviously are a little more on our own out here, but that's also why we don't pay as much taxes as some people too. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's just the way it works. You also, um, you also pay a lot more in insurance because you're considered unprotected. Believe it or not, no. Surprisingly not here. Um, it's not bad compared to Ontario anyway. Um, so the other thing I was just going to mention on that on that note, because I'm more on my own, uh, it helps to have your own shovels, axes, hoses and nozzles, um, even a big pile of dirt in certain cases for smothering purposes. Uh, chainsaws, if you had to knock down some trees or anything, obviously not just for... for uh, chopping down firewood. It's actually it's got some better uses as well. And uh, more importantly, have the cars ready to evacuate. So full tanks of gas, not not less than a quarter. Full tanks of gas and backed in. That's another like another problem that people find. Uh, and I remember reading in um, uh, kind of in the uh, the after action report from uh, Fort McMur the Fort McMurray fire that um, several of the challenges were vehicles breaking down on the only road out of town. You know, people not knowing how to drive the vehicles that were in their driveway. Like, if if I ha if I have a uh, you know an automatic an automatic transmission vehicle, my wife drives a stick. I haven't driven a stick shift since I was fifteen. So there's a there's a chance, that especially under duress, I'm going to have a hard time doing that. Mm -hmm. So knowing how to knowing how to do that with your uh, you know, knowing how to be able to get into any vehicle that you can and get out um, is super important. And yeah, always, so. always back in. Like you, you. Anytime you, and ever, <laughs> we talk about we talk about you know, pre, you know, preparing for the worst. If you're backing out and smoke is obscuring your vision, you're more likely to be, um, you're more likely to hit something that you can't see. Than if you're pulling out, you you'll have a you'll have a better field of view. And you're less likely to come into you know come across something that you were that you weren't expecting. And especially if your gas tank's back there too, it's going to crack the gas tank and you might run out of gas. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that the trunk bug out bag, uh, make sure you change that out for the season, uh, make it seasonally appropriate as far as, uh, clothing and, you know, cha change out your food supplies, everything else. So you're ready to go in case of evacuation, you have to sit there and line up like everybody else for gas and food and everything else. So you just get going and gone like a la Fort McMurray. 
Um, other thing we, I think Andrew mentioned it originally, and uh, I've definitely taken it to heart. But uh, when you're at home base and traveling, know your exits. Uh, so, like the, you mentioned before, Alan, count the doors to the emergency exit. That was uh, that was Eric that started me on that, right? Yeah. You get, you get your get to your hotel room, count the doors to the exit. So if I go out the door and I turn left, where's my uh, where's the stairwell? If I get the go out the door and turn right, where's the stairwell? Um, we gotta be uh, be really acutely aware of that. And uh, most commercial buildings, uh, the stairwells will dump you outside. You don't have to go back through the building uh, once you get to the once you get to the ground level, uh, and then count the number of count the number of landings to the ground. So if you've got um, you know the building that I work in right now. It's four landings from ground to two, and then two landings every floor above that. So their fourth floor is um, eight landings above ground. So if I get down to landing seven and I'm like, why why haven't I found this door yet? It's because I've still got one more to go. Yeah, yeah. and um, I do believe it's uh, Franklin Horton books. I think that uh, Brad just got me on, or somebody got me on the this series of books, anyways. But <laughs> yep, yeah, I have, yeah, have enough gas to leave. Uh, so if you're away from town. Uh, obviously in fire season or whatever just just make sure you have enough gas to leave no matter what like, and have like as and know the know the roads like mm -hmm. that's that's a big one like, um we saw that in uh um we saw that in um uh louisiana like during uh katrina and you know all of the all of the subsequent things all of the subsequent hurricanes like there's if there's one road out of town it's going to get really really congested but if there are you know there's there's almost always more than one way to get somewhere or at least get out of the danger area, but if you don't know yeah. where the roads go, if you don't know which way they are, um, you can make you can make things worse for you rather than better. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's a it's a really really good idea to um, it's a really good idea to just know the roads and like have a printed map book. You know, it, it, sometimes it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> some sometimes sometimes it just does take it just does take that. Um, All right. Uh, so, but uh, one question here we got: Where do you recommend storing fuel cans? Um, your garage. Yeah, some definitely not inside your not inside your house. Um, I where I recommend storing them is approximately seventy five feet from your house in a vented, uh, dedicated, rated uh, fuel storage basin. Um, so, there's it's a cabinet that has ventilation to it and allows. Um, it won't allow combustion, so it's, it's oxygen limited. So if something does catch fire, it'll seal itself up. Um, I recognize that that is, you know, very wishful thinking. Expensive. Um, it, it's very expensive. It's difficult to maintain. Uh, it, it's a lot of, for a lot of reasons, it's impractical for the average homeowner. Uh, so I would say in a shed would be ideal. Um, Some place that can be ventilated fairly fairly readily because you don't want the fumes to build up because the, the vapor of gasoline is what's really flammable. Uh, so you don't want fumes to be able to build up. Uh, and um, definitely not so you, near anything, any ignition sources. So you don't want it in the same building as, like a uh, like an overhead heater that's gonna that's gonna kick on automatically. And you're saying not the trunk of the car then? Um, <laughs> ideally not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question: Is Jeff napping? Uh, no, I'm not napping. I'm, I'm here. He's, he's, he's planning. He's planning his next. He's planning his next question. Yeah. <laughs> no, you've answered all my questions. I'm good. Yeah, I think that was pretty much it. Uh, since we're running out of listener questions too, so we might as well uh, carry on. Uh, should we move on to the podcast challenge? Do one thing that you can to amp up your personal fire plans. So 
buy, get, a new, get an additional fire extinguisher. Put your fuel cans in the right spot. Uh, control your ignition sources. Uh, have a have a plan to deal with wildfires if that's something that's uh, that's next to you, or a, a high risk for you. Do one thing to amp up your plans. Uh, fire extinguishers are pretty uh, are a pretty cheap way to do that. Yeah, pretty low hanging fruit, pretty easy to do, and available everywhere, pretty much. Uh, Kyle's question: Nothing about keeping a CO detector next to fuel storage. As long as it's not inside the house, no, I don't really care. If you're yeah. putting it putting it in an occupiable space, right? If you're leaving it in the uh, um, leaving it in a garage, then yes, absolutely. But you would already have one there. So I know you're trying to make a joke, but I uh, I, I just quash that because there's nothing funny about carbon monoxide. Pat showed up late, and so Pat in a bunker says howdy y'all, but I don't believe he's in a bunker, or else he wouldn't be able to say hi. So. <laughs> Anyway, uh, upcoming events. Uh, so, petition E4010. I know petitions are kind of like the slave suggestion box to the government, but uh, yeah, it's open till the end of August, and it is a petition to repeal the coming to force of the gun transfer rules. So, if you want to, I uh, there's a link in the show notes. I'll have that in the YouTube commentary momentarily. Um, yeah, give it your best. I think we, we usually average about a quarter million signatures per petition. They end up being the top five of all time, all the time, but nothing ever really becomes of it. So anyway, uh, Maple Seed events, of course, mapleseedrifleman.com slash events. There's a, some basic marksmanship going on all across Canada. Now that the, uh, the virus of unknown origin there is over and, uh, yeah, yeah. amp up your, uh, your shooting skills. Uh, residual March is coming up next week. Uh, so those have, I think you'd still sign up for it right up to the day prior, but, uh, team Ragnarok is running, a Finnish reserve uh, march, basically between May 26th and 29th. Basically, it involves doing 10 kilometers a day for four days. You get a little nice little patch and certificate and pin and all that stuff for having done it, and you get to be uh, have some <laughs> super cool bragging rights, I guess. Uh, that's it for me. The uh, annual preppers meet is coming up in Desboro, Ontario, July 7th to 10th. Uh, you can get tickets at uh, on their website. Uh, www.annualpreppersmeet.com and uh, tickets are on sale now so good uh, good little way to meet Jeff, uh, sorry go ahead Brad Jeff are you going to that? Uh, I hope to be it, there's a bit of a conflict on that weekend but I hope to get there at least one day and kind of see what it's like I haven't been Eric's been a few times but uh, I want to go I just got to try and finagle my schedule yeah. I'm thinking of going. I'm. Uh, I really like to, but I haven't got my work schedule yet, so let's see what happens. But ah. anyway, well, let me know. Uh, deal of the week. So for my, I found a four pack of life straws. As much as I like to crap on the life straws, uh, Eric was saying they're hard to find. So I saw a four pack on sale at the local Costco as well, but uh, they're online as as well. Uh, item two hundred two two zero eight five, and uh, four pack of them for sixty nine bucks. It's not a bad nice. price actually. You should, Usually they're uh, they're twenty bucks a pop, right? So that's that's ten bucks off the four pack. I got mine at twenty five dollars about five years ago. Yeah, so there you go. Um, so that's seventeen fifty a pop. So it's not bad. Anyway, <laughs> and we got some shout outs. Um, no. Shout out to Carrie and Kyle for uh, some great questions and comments in the uh, live chat tonight. That was uh, fantastic. Really, uh, absolutely love seeing the the interaction. That makes doing this live so much more fun. 
Well, yeah, because actually that's the first time I think I've seen Carrie on the on the live stream for sure. Anyway, cool. More the better. Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's see here. iTunes reviews. We do have one from Rome One. It says, "Gentlemen, that's how you know he's a new listener." Uh, still enjoying the podcast. Please keep it up. In the up to $5,000 purchase episode, I would like to add two suggestions. One, a tiller, either gas or battery powered. An acre is based on how much a yoke of oxen and one man could plow in a day. And given that we're going to have a huge garden, it might be a good purchase to invest in. We have tilled a 15 by 15 meter area that would have taken us days to do by hand. and only took two hours with a rear time tiller. I really enjoyed having a tiller when uh, um, when I was doing a big garden at my grandparents' house when I was a kid. Uh, and then item two, which is also labeled number one. So I'll, I'll comment on purpose. that quick, if yeah. you don't mind, Alan. So um, depending on who you talk to, um, our resident uh, garden expert, uh, Carmen, would be uh, all over you on that one. Um, she does not agree to tilling at all. And she is more of a... Uh, the compost just on top of the the soil and spread it around and and plant on that and um, I've seen quite a few people that actually have have started to go that way as opposed to uh, tilling up the the ground so might be something you want to look into uh, lots of YouTube stuff out there or reach out to the the panel or have a question on our, on our Discord and you know I'm. Carmen's, uh, like I say, Carmen's our expert on that, and she's uh, she's a no-till grow person. I can see that once it's established, but I would think if you're just making up a view of, like, for example, where you're locally, alpaca poop and wood shavings, I'd rather till them up and mix them up and then plant anyway, because, you know, if, if you've got to make your soil on the on the fly, it's, it's it's got some benefits there, but I see what Yeah, I mean, I mean I think I'm, I'm sure there's benefits to both. I'm, I'm yeah. growing my garden for the first time this year, and I'm teen many years, so I'm by no means anywhere close to um, an expert by any means, but. I think it's one of those time and place items. There's there's likely a time and a place where it's a good idea, and there's likely a time and a place where it's not necessary, um, slash could be uh, detrimental, but I think there's, uh, uh, I think we should probably do uh, do a follow-up episode on, on that with Carmen when, uh, when we can get her back on and. Um, discuss that a little further because I think you're right that that it, it's not a, there's not a blanket yes or no on that. Uh, and then the second item that uh, Rogue one, Rome One um, mentioned was a freeze dryer, and it says here we purchased uh, we purchased one three years ago or so and has been more has more than paid for itself in that time. Here are a few examples of the savings at our local mega store. Eggs cost about twenty two cents each. A number can number ten can of freezed freeze-dried eggs are around 88 cents per equivalent egg. We've done both our store-bought and our own eggs, which cost about 37 cents for store-bought and 14 cents for our home-raised per equivalent egg. I think the main value of a freeze-dryer is that in is in meal preparation. Most mountain house meals come in two serving pouches and cost around $11 US each. And we can do about 10 pounds or four kilos per run and it works out to about a dollar to dollar fifty per serving of our own beef stew. The electrical cost is low, so I have a kilowatt totalizer on our unit, and the KWs we have used is four, uh, with the average around two seventy two point seven five to three point two five kilowatts per run. As a side note, when you freeze dry your own meals, you control the ingredients, like like the meal is a bit spicier, add some heat. Why not 
and do not like it cold, do not like it hot, so you don't add as much spice. And then adds a question: Do you have a favorite family meal or recipe? Make it and freeze dry it. Um, so I think that is uh, um, that's yes, absolutely. A freeze dryer is an excellent purchase. Uh, again, I think it has um, it has a lot of potential. Not something I know anything about, um, but I I'm sure that between us we have uh, we have enough ex we have enough people that would be considered subject matter experts for it. Uh, yeah, I, then, I I looked into. I looked into one last year. I, I considered it. I toyed with it. Um, being that I'm the only person in the house, um, I just couldn't substantiate the cost. I mean, a year ago, they were a small one in Canada was uh, $3,000. Uh, I'm sure it's substantially more than that now with the price of everything. So and that, that uh, would... I mean, it, they're great to have. And, and I mean, I absolutely agree with everything they say it, I just couldn't do it at the time. So. Yep. Well, and I think for for an individual, that's probably cost prohibitive. But if you were to, you know, find one place to base it, and you've got several people that are willing to invest and make use of it, then, you know, the, the purchase price. You know, if you've got you know, say four families that are all buying into it, um, you're now down about seven fifty seven fifty a family, and then you total up some of those savings, and you know, within within three years within you know say probably a year then everybody's uh everybody's made their money back on it so um that would be uh it, it would again it would be it's a large purchase um it might be worthwhile to have a bunch of people go in on it under the on the agreement that you know once a once a month or once a quarter we all get together and throw a few beers downrange and and freeze dry whatever we're going to do for the day um but that's uh yeah i think you're right Jeff, they're they're like they're co they're likely cost prohibitive for an individual. Too bad you guys didn't live closer. It's too bad you didn't live closer to us, since there are more of us. <laughs> here. Six of one, half the other, because then I do <laughs> definitely do that kind of thing. Exactly right. That's you know that's the benefit of. Having oh, if that, I could if uh, I could find a group, I'd be all over it. But yeah, like yep. like I just said, it's for for one person. It yeah, it's cost prohibitive. Uh, if, Jeff, yeah. if Jeff and Eric hadn't gone gray, man, I would have stayed there. We would have been like 20 minutes away. Yeah, there you go. And then, I mean, <laughs> I'm only a couple hours away. So if we're going to do that once yeah. a quarter, I'd be in. So, um, yeah, so that's that that might be another way to approach that. Whereas, you know, yes, it is. It is a, as a costly investment. But over the years, that will uh, that will pay for itself. And if you can spread the spread the initial pain out over a few different groups of people, then uh, you're probably in really, uh, uh, really good shape. Uh, and then um, Rome One finally asks uh, two requests. Can I please get an invite to the Discord group? And how do you access the show notes? So the show notes are attached to um, Spotify YouTube. for sure. Uh, the YouTube note, the YouTube uh, channel. I uh, don't know about Facebook. Maybe Ian, you can correct me on that. But uh, it goes out kind of when we publish the final episode. So if you're watching us live. Um, you missed the, the the fantastic intro music and all of that good stuff, and uh, maybe a little bit of editing of the ums and ahs out of it. But uh, at the end of the show, the, these will end up in the in the YouTube notes for or in the YouTube uh, uh, comments for sure. And then yeah, the invite just, to the yeah, Discord group. Uh, find the show notes, and you will see the uh, um, you will see the uh, the the link to the Discord group is uh, in just about every episode since we started it. Yeah, so I just put the uh, link in the chat as well for the Discord. But uh, I think he said he found the Discord link. But yeah, so uh, the YouTube 
I guess live show doesn't show the show notes until so sometimes I get back to the studio after it's done and they re-enter them manually. So it might take an hour or so, but then you know, check back tomorrow. The all the all the links that we're talking about will be in the in the YouTube commentary. Yep. And then um same thing when you go on the Apple podcast, I do believe Eric's supposed to shove the notes into all of them. He doesn't always do it, but he he's pretty good about it. And then uh yeah, other than that. Yeah, email us worst case scenario. We'll give you a Discord link uh, so you can join up. There's probably about 200 on there now, something like that. So, pretty healthy yep. Discord group. Yep. Um, yeah, and I think that's uh, that, that's all the all the emails we got from uh, from this week. So thank you, thanks for uh, thanks for listening, Rome One, and thanks for uh, participating. We always love the feedback, uh, and yeah, hope to see you on the Discord group. You can uh, if you can't find it. Uh, if you still can't find it there, and Ian was wrong because he tends to be, uh, just shoot me an email and I'll uh, I'll, I'll uh, forward you the link. One hundred and seventy six members on Discord. There you go. There you go. That's a big that's a big community of people who may wish to get in on a freeze dryer. <laughs> there and, and there's actually and there's a location specific stuff. So like if you're if you're looking for somebody local, there's there's usually like a, a mag meetup kind of area where you can figure out who's yep. in your at least in your province and take it from there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, I guess I'll bring episode 161 of the Game Purple Podcast to the end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out and submit a review. It helps other people find us. Uh, we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube if you want an early peek at the show, or you just want to get in the question and have us answer it. Uh, we, we may very well do that as well. Uh, you can subscribe to the channel, YouTube channel, Canadian Purple Podcast, and click the notifications tab gives you an alert when we're going live. If you want to reach me directly, that's Alan with one L at prepperpodcast.ca. And if you want to reach out to me, you can just uh, send a message uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Where Eric will send by carrier pigeon. (laughs) I can be reached at uh, batbradcpp at gmail.com. Raj, you can uh, reach Ian directly by emailing me at the Island Retreat at gmail.com. All right, you can also find me on a Canadian Patriot podcast on iTunes and YouTube. We record Monday evenings at 8.30 Eastern now. Uh, I'm also in the Discord group for both CPPs. Uh, emails if you want to invite to the other CPPs uh, Discord as well. There you can find us discussing why government waste in society has me shopping for water tanks. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us. Till next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning.